Hello and welcome to Prestige, you're all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Now normally each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. This week however, and if you know Rob in real life then this will tell you how far in advance we're actually recording this. This week Rob's wife gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, so I'm giving the new family some time to not get any sleep. And um, we're going to take the podcast on my own this week with some help from some other fine podcasters who are going to introduce themselves now. Hello. Uh, I wasn't sure which one I was going to do it first. Uh, but I'll... <laughs> That's how expert we are at podcasting. My name's Tiernan. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a podcast thing. Uh, is, that, is that enough of an intro? that work? Do you want to tell us what it's called? Oh yeah, it's called uh, the Partly Political Broadcast and uh, involves me uh, looking at the week's news and trying not to scream. And uh, my name is Matt Wandless. I do a podcast called The Longest Pleasure Podcast, which is about football, football fans and the English Premier League. And also music, it appears. Yeah, well, yeah, Chris, uh, my co-host on that, has started writing a new football chant, well, new football song. It's full-on songs every week. And if if it's worth downloading for anything, it's that. They are brilliant. Because everyone can relate to the music of Chris Benyon. It's a beautiful thing. So, having finished the Bourne franchise last week, we're going to start on The Matrix when Rob returns. This week, though, our franchise season takes a bit of hiatus as we look at a film released 21 years ago this week. And to think about the influence it's had on now on a generation of pop culture. It's David Fincher's 1995 classic, Seven. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I'm going to inside five years. Not here. Now, they're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. Seven stars Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt as a pair of cops at opposite ends of their careers who are respectively embittered and infused in response to the trials of working life in a grim, unnamed US city and also the demands of a serial killer case. Gwyneth Paltrow's Pitt's wife, Kevin Spacey's the killer, and that's about all you need to know. And at this point, although I'm sure most people have seen Seven, this is a blanket spoiler warning. So if bizarrely you haven't seen Seven, then pause the podcast now and go away and do so. Yeah, go and watch it, because it's, uh, it's incredibly worth it. I watched it again the other night to prepare for this, and uh, it, it never ceases to uh, just sort of stun me with how good it is. Hmm, yeah. I should preface this by saying uh, neither myself... Well, I'm not going to speak for Tiernan. I'm certainly not versed in film theory or uh, or anything like that. I just really like films. Um, I, I think but, you're forgetting that we did media studies at A-level, Matt. That is true. That is true. So we're pretty well-versed, actually, in uh, juxtaposition, mise-en-scene. Yeah, and sort of dismissing film theory by yeah. and large. <laughs> Um, as the ramblings of uh, an idiot uh, called Miss Chapman. Yeah, uh, Seven is one of my favourite films because I think it's um, 
it's very rare that I find a thriller like this where it feels completely airtight. Like there, there is nothing. There are no moments in this film where you think, "Well, why didn't you do that?" You know, mm. like this so often frustrating in uh, things that involve crime and and sort of arch serial killers, where someone does something stupid or something happens, and you go, "Well, how did he know that was going to happen?" Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. There's something. I mean, there's something I wanted to talk about maybe later on, but there's something very like early Philip Marlowe, film noir, big sleep, things like that, sort of very spare, sparse action and everything happens for a reason and it's all very grim. And it's also in that kind of unbearable heat, you know, everything always looks like it's constantly very warm, like in uh, a lot of Raymond Chandler books as well, you know, it's got that real kind of, everything feels difficult and sweaty and yeah, Mm. and gritty and grimy. Yeah, to me this film takes place in a summer and, and I, I mean, it's interesting that you said that it's uh, the city's never named because I noticed that the other night. But it's sort of like it's kind of intrinsically New York because of the library. That's what it feels like. But it feels like a very hot, rainy summer. That's interesting because I thought it was Chicago. Oh, really? Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Well, then no, I don't think it is named. I don't think Chicago or New York is right or wrong. I just thought because of the weather, that's just how it felt. Ah, okay. But I don't, I don't know. No, there is that really oppressive feel to it. And I, and, I, and I know what you mean about the kind of the Raymond Chandler thing. And I love the fact that they all wear the Max and Trilbys. Hmm. Or at least uh, Somerset does and John Doe does. Yeah, it's it's a nice sort of little visual throwback, that. Um, but in, in terms of what you were saying, Sam, I think the main influence that this appears to have for me, and like I say, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not as all-knowing in terms of... Uh, film as, as as you guys are but it feels like this is the first film that did the elaborate morality serial killer right yeah where the killer has a kind of a context to their murders they're not just they're not just crazy and uh, psychopathic mm. they have a, a thing that they're going for like I, and I haven't the the, the great uh, crime of me being on this podcast is I haven't seen any of the Saw films, but I'm kind of aware of what they are about. You're not missing a lot. Well, some people now, really like them. The, the first one is incredible. The first, first it, one is fantastic. This, this yeah. is the thing that I think the first one is incredible, and the first one is, as you just said, is sort of a great morality thriller. And then the producers make a wrong call, and they think, well why people liked it was because it was basically torture porn and they loved the the traps and and people being ambitiously killed and that's not why they liked Saw. People liked Saw because it was an interesting morality thriller. It was it was also a fantastic sort of mystery. The first uh, the first film is essentially uh, you know it starts with two men locked in a room together. With, uh, they don't know how they got there. They don't know each other, and you spend the film trying to work that out. And that's fascinating, you know, from a viewer's point of view. Mm. Whereas all the other films are just oh, someone else has died in a horrible way, and it's really not as intriguing. I yeah. Think. yeah. Um, but it's interesting you say that, Matt, because that is it. Seven does seem like it was absolutely the starting point for that kind of villain who believes that they are doing justice in their own way and that people should be punished for their sins in a kind of more vicious way than the crime department yes, is doing it. Yeah. And um, uh, also the kind of elaborate kill as well, that sort of um, someone who's meticulous and takes their time. The film it made me think of, which is sort of in a different genre, have you seen, or not Ordinary Decent Criminal, Law-Abiding Citizen? 
with um, Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx? No. No. Okay. Well, it's it's, it's worth checking out. It's it's a, another thriller where um, a guy is wrongly imprisoned and then he turns out to be this incredible military tactician and goes after the people who actually killed his family. Right. And uh, it's Gerard Butler. And, he, and that's one of these films where I'm like, come on, how could he possibly have known that was going to happen? Mm. And they just kind of explain it away with this whole thing of like, well, he's just a really good military tactician, so he knows exactly, he knows the future, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. But one of the things I was also thinking about last night is, is what you were referring to, Sam, with the, with the kind of the traps of Saw and the elaborate technological sort of things whereas seven does that but with he's not very elaborate in how he goes about it he's very uh, exacting and very uh, cruel but he doesn't have a giant warehouse full of machines no you know he hasn't got this kind of infinite resource uh torture palace that he's built for himself no which is how i again i haven't seen saw but is that that's kind of how i understand it is like there's all these rooms everywhere and people are getting caught in elaborate traps well very definitely in the later films yeah but that's that's what tim is saying about the first film it is a beautiful mystery film and it feels quite sparse in the same way it doesn't feel like there are loads and loads of elaborate traps but yes in the in the later films you get lots of and it, it just gets ridiculous okay right yeah they just yeah. become slasher films very boring mm. Um, do you think as well with this, I was going to say with Seven as well, now this this could be quite a, a, a ridiculous comment, but I, I sort of felt with Seven that it changed the kind of buddy cop film because essentially it is the old cop who's going to leave and the new cop who's just started and is a bit kind of uh, headstrong and, uh, you know, and, and it kind of, in in many ways, that's what Lethal Weapon did, you know, and, and other films like that. Yeah. And this took those kind of um, uh, stereotypes or those characters and put them in a completely different, very serious, very dark scenario, which completely changes that dynamic, which mm. I thought was very interesting. That is really interesting. Actually, I never thought of it like that. There, there, there is a buddy cop film in that in that sense. Yeah. And then by the end of the week, the old guy has outlasted the young guy, and it was supposed to be the other way round. But actually, the new guys come in, and he's blown his top within the first week. Oh, I mean, it's it's interesting. I haven't watched Seven for a, a couple of years. I certainly haven't. I certainly haven't watched it since I um since I had a kid. The ending took on a new degree of horror mm. for me. Uh, it's it was it was really like oh man, this is really dreadful, and it kind of hadn't really occurred to me just how um, how horrible this 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 film actually is. It's the way as well that you never see in the box properly. You know, like you no. your brain fills in those blanks, and it becomes even worse because of that. I think. Mm. No, they're very good at that actually. In 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 a sort of from a cinema. Uh, cinematographic standpoint <laughs> seven has this it just shows you enough to to make you feel uh really really on edge and uneasy like i mean even the title sequence has kind of got this strobe-like effect of um seeing john doe kind of you know shaving off his fingerprints and writing in his books so you get this sense of what's happening but at that point obviously it's very mysterious so you don't know what it's referencing but then when you see the crime scenes as well you just get little snippets it never kind of you know it never never takes all its clothes off 
you know, you just you you see a little bit of thigh and a little bit of uh, side boob, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you never see the full mutilated corpse of someone apart from with um, the sloth victim. That's the the worst moment for me. That is that upset me for such a long time. It is utterly, utterly horrible, isn't it? But it, the worst part is when they realise he's alive. Yeah, when he starts coughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, watching it, and you know exactly what's going to happen. It's not, a, it's not a jump scare either. That's the thing. It's, but it's, oh, it's just so unsettling and, uh, and and awful. Matt, I I beg to differ. Oh, what? Well, maybe the first time it's a jump scare, but. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, maybe, but it's it it doesn't sort of. Um, no, I know what you mean. It's not like accompanied by an orchestral sting yeah. or anything like that. No, it's not. They, they, it just it's just it just happens and it's awful. But um, that's an interesting thing as well. Is I'm not a horror fan. I really dislike horror. Um, I don't like being scared, and yet I love this movie. Like. My, in terms of quality and favourite, actually, this one would be. It has to be in my top five or ten. I mean, it's it's so much more than a horror, though, isn't it? You know, it, it's it, all the characters are incredibly well developed. The the killer, as you said, has got motives and and morals, yeah. uh, which immediately re- removes it out of or or horror films that pretend killers have morals. They, you know, it's not normally such so well structured, and and it, it's it's far more a thriller with horror elements. I would have thought. Yes, yes, I, no, I agree with that. But it 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 pushes a lot of buttons that normally would turn me off a film. Like I, I've, particularly the the sloth killing. In fact, anything where people are um, kind of completely helpless and uh, you know at the whims of a, a of a mad person that that kind of thing really yeah I, I find it very difficult to watch. And yeah, I must have watched this film fifteen twenty times. And it's and it's it's a film that there aren't many of them in this category for me. There's like there's like maybe ten or twenty films where if I happen to notice them on television if i'm flicking through channels and i'm like oh oh that's seven then i have to watch it to completion you know yeah there's there's that there's like silence of the lambs crimson tide terminator 2 yeah there aren't that many but they're they're, they're all incredibly good films mm. they just i i feel compelled to see them through when I, whenever i encounter them you mentioned there you mentioned silence of the lambs that is one of the films that gets mentioned and that's one of the great things about it. It's not just what Seven has influenced, as we've been talking about. It's what influences Seven. Because there was a spate of a film sort of starting at the beginning of the 90s. That, okay, Seven may have, have started a new wave of, like you said, a, a killer with a moral. But, in fact, there was sort of a wave of films that started with Silence of the Lambs in 1991 that it, it itself is being influenced by. Yes, absolutely. You can really feel that. You know, I was thinking about that when I was watching it the other night. I think they've really taken a cue from the music in The Silence of the Lambs as as well, the way they handle it, because um, it doesn't use your traditional kind of thriller music. It's all very... um, it's, it sort of swells over you. It's like uh, it's like getting buffeted by waves. The the way the music works. Do you know? Do you know what I mean at all? If you, yes. Uh, yeah. It's just a constant undulating orchestral thing. There's no sort of kind of uh, fast paced anything. It's all very slow and um, sort of wears you down. Mm. I was thinking of the word incidental. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but I preferred you just demonstrating it 
I've got a full range of percussion. Good, yeah. I mean, it definitely wore me down, Matt. It definitely wore me down. <laughs> something else I want to talk about was something that I know you two know more about than I do is comic books. Mm. Because it struck me that this film really influenced another film that was came out 10 years later, but was based on a series of Frank Miller comics written throughout the 90s around this time, is Sin City. Yeah. And it felt very reminiscent of Sin City, the way that sort of, it wasn't all, it wasn't black and white, but there was a drab palette used throughout. Hmm. And I wonder how you thought it was. It was influenced by comics. Well, it hadn't occurred to me. It's got well. It's again that you know. There's a lot of. Uh, I think you you were, you were mentioning earlier with the film noir. A lot of comics are kind of are, are, have been influenced by by the kind of noir era. You know, with the especially if you look at uh, most of Frank Miller's stuff like Dark Knight or Daredevil, all those. It's all dark. It's gritty. They often take place in rainy street corners with one kind of street lamp illuminating it. You know, all the drawings and artwork that goes with that is that this is in a a place with kind of skewed morality mm. and the hero is is often an anti-hero you know uh, much like you had with Philip Marlowe this kind of guy who was a, a detective but w- was a drinker yeah. and would kind of uh, have his way with the ladies and you know you're never quite sure and similarly a lot of Frank Miller's stuff I mean Sin City all the characters in Sin City are horrible in one way or another and though they're a collection of short stories and within each short story one of them will act heroic for their own purpose but they are normally still a killer or a thug you know or a sex worker or a number of different things that they do and and he brought the same to uh to like batman you know he did the same with batman and so i wonder if that's where sevens gained a kind of an atmosphere from i mean it's, it's funny as well that i don't know if you uh the, the russo brothers who directed captain america winter soldier have just done captain america civil war they they've actually just said on the the blu-ray commentary for Captain America Civil War that uh, Seven was one of their biggest influences really? which um, I can't really see you don't notice it do you <laughs> no no it's inter- they said Seven Fargo and The Godfather were influences for their style I could understand that about Winter Soldier that seems to me a much more believably dark film that might have had those influences but not Civil War really hmm. yeah it's very strange isn't it they said well they, they, their sort of thing was that they they like sort of mixing up genres or they like kind of, uh, what was it, the way they put it? It was something about how, you know, if there's if there's certain idiosyncrasies in superhero genres, they kind of crash it into other genres. And I think that, that they were looking at Seven for that aspect in the way that, as we were saying, it kind of mixes a kind of detective noir with, with horror uh, to respect and with a buddy film, you know. Um, so maybe that's what they took from it. Otherwise, I really can't tell <laughs> what on earth they mean. I, I kind of understand what what you're getting at now, what, or rather what they're getting at in terms of that the combination of genre because it's one of the things they use to great effect you know the, they, they directed a couple of episodes of community yeah they, they, they did the first um paintball one i thought that was them right which which is um astoundingly good not least because one of the reasons it's great is that it uses the tropes from the genre that's sort of mocking so well not sorry not that it's mocking that it's sending up but yeah i i think i think i can see how Seven can be seen as uh, an example of a a way to merge genres and get the best out of each of them. Yeah. God, that was all very tenuous, wasn't it? (laughs) No, I I like that. And I like... I mean, it seems to do that with other films. So you've got Science of the Lambs references, but you've got 
Star Wars references as well, and it can take bits of Star Wars and say, well, we'll use a bit of that, we'll poke fun at that a bit. Star Wars references? Yeah. Mill says at one point, just because oh, the fucker's got a library card doesn't make yeah, him Yoda. Right, yeah. I know, it's of course. <laughs> so it seems to do that with other films. One of the other films it doesn't mention, but I sort of highlighted, is there's something in that conversation between Mills and Somerset about women not being able to call rape. Yeah. Says yell fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's something in that conversation that felt very Quentin Tarantino-esque. It felt very like the beginning of Reservoir Dogs, but kind of more urgent. Oh, but, uh, yeah, with a sort of darker twist on it, yeah, without exactly, being casual. Yeah. It's, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, the, the Mills-Somerset relationship is, is done incredibly well, and um, one of the really nice things, again, about the film, just from a sort of technical point of view of, of, of a thriller, is that they don't, you don't notice the fact that Mills' wife is in it. No, you know it's it just seems completely natural that um, while you see nothing of Somerset's life, although it, they kind of make it look like he doesn't have any, you get to see Mills's home life, and the, yeah, the, the the film works well enough with that in it that it just feels like oh, this is the story, and we're getting to know the the cops and stuff, and you don't ever think that she's going to become embroiled in the horror. Mm even when she tells Somerset that she's having a baby, which is the kind of thing that would normally be like, well, she's dead, you know, yeah. <laughs> in, in, yeah. in a thriller <laughs> or a horror film. But it, it's it's done so gently, and it just feels like it's, yeah, it's just very natural. It's uh, it's very clever the way they do that. But he's quite good, sort of Fincher's quite good at that, though, isn't he? Kind of dropping things in as part of the story, so it's not uh, an obvious kind of shove it down your throat way that other filmmakers might do. Because he does that a lot with um, House of Cards, I think, as well. Where you know there's there's lots of like little scenes or cutaways, and you kind of think I don't really that you know you just feel that like you're going to see another character, and then it comes to a point several episodes later where you realise how influential that thing was. Mm, yeah, he yeah. seems to have a, a quite a knack for that, just kind of weaving a story together rather delicately. On that House of Cards note, there's something very like Doug in the serial killer character, someone who will stop at nothing and. The president's right-hand man has to do his dirty work. Well, he's not president in the first series, but has to do his dirty work, but sees himself as sort of driven by a higher power. So there's something about that, that character that Fincher seems to have, have taken on from Seven and thought, well, yeah, there's some, something I can do with that. Yeah, the sort of uh, not immediately obvious kind of uh, psychopath. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A functioning psychopath. It's basically like, yes. yeah. 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 Which is far more terrifying than uh, than an outright, you know, sort of a, an outright murderer, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, someone who's got that capability for extremes, but otherwise appears pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Could be one of us. Yeah, it could, it could be any one of us. Yeah. I was I was so close to saying, well, it sounds like Matt. <laughs> I didn't know until uh, the, the tiny bit of prep that I did for this but I didn't realise that Kevin Spacey wasn't listed for the film at all like in any of the you know in any of the kind of, I suppose it didn't have IMDB when it came out but you know in any of the kind of cast listings they didn't put Kevin Spacey in it so that it'd be a surprise no they had to work really hard to do it as well I think now where did because I looked it up and this is the same year as The Usual Suspects where where did Kevin Spacey come from? 
And he suddenly burst on the scene with two of the most amazing performances. He was a big Broadway and theatre actor, though, wasn't he? He was a massive yes. uh, Broadway star and actually did a lot of musicals and things, didn't he, if I remember? Uh, yeah, he's a great singer, yeah. And, um, and it, it, he was in Glengarry Glen Ross as well. Of course. Right. But he wasn't a big, big actor by any stretch at that point. He's in, he's in something else as well. He crops up in something else where he's got hair. He's got a moustache in something, isn't he? If I remember this film, this is a very vague uh, recollection. Yeah, he's much hairier before Seven. This this is where it, it shows that the guy who's actually watched films is not on the podcast. Uh, is that is that Rob? <laughs> this is what you normally rely on him for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do, do you know? I was going to say, do you know a film that's fantastic that he's in? Swimming with Sharks. Yeah, I love Swimming with Sharks. That's probably before this, isn't it? Yeah. That was before Usual Suspects. Yeah, otherwise known as the Buddy. That's an amazing. The film. Buddy Problem, I think it's called, which is a terrible title. Awful title, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that he kind of uh, rode under the radar, and then he did these films, and then he did American Beauty, and suddenly he was an absolute superstar. One of the last lines of the film is Mills saying to John Doe, "You're a movie of the week." I would would normally at this point ask you for for your movies of the week, but I think we've been talking about that a lot this episode. So not sure we have any recommendations left. But would you two like to give a couple more plugs for stuff that you're doing, Matt? Go. Oh well, yeah, you can download the longest pleasure podcast on iTunes or Podbean, and also you know what, just do watch uh, Law Abiding Citizen. It's fun. Cool. Uh, you can download my podcast, Partly Political Broadcast, uh, on iTunes or from my website, which would require you spelling my name, and that will take you years uh, and too many vowels. So go for iTunes. Um, and also, um, my latest stand-up special is available um, oh, also on my website. This is tricky now, isn't it? Uh, but it's called The World's Full of Idiots, Let's Live in Space. Uh, and if you go to tnanddoyeb.co.uk, you can get it there for about three quid. And it's got at least... Um, in fact, you corrected me earlier, Sam. I said it had two jokes, but you said it had sort of one. So it's got at least one joke in it it's very good how good is your search engine optimization tin and if i type if i misspell your name how badly do i have to get it wrong before i can't find you well the, the problem is is i i don't know because i've had to uh I, I i unashamedly google myself because sometimes it brings up gigs that i've forgotten to book it uh to put in my diary so my you know my search engine brings me up quite quickly because it, it does sort of do it to your area doesn't it yeah but i don't know how it works for you guys tin and you can spell your own name yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also true. It's also true. It's one fact about me. Well, I'll I'll put I'll put your website in the in the show notes anyway, so people will find you. Hooray! Thank you both, and do go and listen to. I uh, downloaded ten show the other day. It's very good. Go and listen to that and subscribe to the Partly Political Broadcast if you're interested in politics, and even if you're not. And the longest pleasure you probably have to be interested in football, but if you are, then go listen to that because it's brilliant. You can find us on Twitter, you find me and all Rob, depending on Father Duties, at Prestige Podcast, and you find just me at Life Academic, Matt. I'm uh, on at TLP Podcast for the podcast and at Mojo Priest for me. Uh, and then just, yeah, again, try and spell the name uh, for me. And uh, Partly Political is on Parpol Bro, because uh, that's what I could fit into the amount of characters I had. Right, thank you both very much, and normal service may or may not be resumed next week. The 
Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.